Imagine if each morning when you wake up, you're smiling and looking forward to your day, knowing you are happy even while you're dealing with grief and loss. The Grief and Happiness Podcasts inspires, comforts, and supports you with each new episode. I'm Emily Zerothret, welcoming you to explore with me your life of endless possibilities. Aloha. I am so happy today to have Kristen King here with me. And she's just, we've been having a a great pre-talk here before we got started. And she described herself, let me see, I wrote it right here, that she, you can think of her as the marvelous Mrs. Maisel meets Brene Brown and a dash of Ursula the Sea Witch for flair. So (laughs) that just cracked me up. So I think we'll be having some laughter during this podcast. and, And I'm very happy to have you here. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, I am delighted to. Uh, we were talking, I'm in sunny Maui and she's in snowy Colorado. So it's kind of an interesting day today. Well, you do lots of things that are on the very humorous uh, level. And I'm, I'm just, I'm really impressed with your it seems like easy happiness to me. You just seem like mm. like a basically joyful kind of person. That's how, how you come through to me. And at the same time, you've dealt with a whole lot of grief and different kinds of grief. And I think it's it's important for people to get to listen to to stories like yours because so many people, when I tell them I work with grief and happiness, they go, can't have them both. You know, <laughs> if you're grieving, you can't be happy. If you're happy, you can't be grieving. And that's not true. So I, that's, uh, that's what appealed to me about having you on the podcast that I thought it would be good to talk to you. So tell us a little bit about yourself to get started. Sure. Well, um, as you said, my name is Kristen King. I am located in Colorado, USA, in America's highest city, Leadville, where we get 20 to 30 feet of snow a year, typically. And we are we are rocking and rolling <laughs> with the snow this year as of our recording. Um, I am a life and business coach for people who want to stop giving their energy away to things that don't actually matter to them, like you know, perfectionism, people-pleasing, other people's expectations. And so I help my clients recover all of their energy and time and attention from the stuff they just have felt stuck with so they can get out of burnout and get out of overwhelm and stop feeling like they're trapped in someone else's life and start to enjoy their own life. And the way that I you know, found myself in this particular career is that that's the same journey that I have gone on for myself. And a lot of that was actually driven by some of the, the losses that you alluded to, Emily. So I know we'll get into that. Um, But in terms of other fun facts about me, um, I am a mom to 11-year-old twins. I have a boy and a girl. They're in fifth grade. And um, I have two wild dogs and an amazing husband who I just celebrated my 18th anniversary with. And um, just my my favorite fun fact about me is I'm really good at karaoke. So (laughs) if you're... If you're looking for, you know, something fun to lighten the mood, let me know and I'll sing it for you. 
I love that. Uh, I always wanted to be good at karaoke. I always wanted to be a good singer. That just wasn't one of the gifts that I have. So <laughs> I enjoy it when other people can do it. And I I know I, I did a lot of theater. And when people can, it, they have a like a happiness in your soul that comes out that uh, when you're really, really enjoying what you do. And it, it makes such a difference in life. It, and it's easy to smile around people who are genuinely happy like that. And you just sound like you'd be such a fun friend to have. Thank you. And I have to tell you, Emily, I for a long time, a story that I had about myself was that I wasn't fun. Really? And I, I was a pretty intense kid like I was you know tend to be very serious my son is very much like this it's like raising a small version of myself and I yeah I was like always like kind of intense like I was like very nerdy like very into school I was always like the responsible one but I've oh I've also always had this like goofy side that in a lot of ways like I wasn't allowed to fully embrace and so I've started telling a different story about myself in the last five years or so I'm freaking delight. Like I am really fun. <laughs> One of my my former bosses described me as relentlessly enthusiastic, and I think oh. that that's a very accurate <laughs> description. That's a fabulous description. I love that. It's mm-hmm. so cool. Well, let's talk a little bit about grief and happiness because it, it sounds like. Oh, and it doesn't sound like it is that you were kind of bombarded with things to grieve um, over periods of time uh, that would be hard. Any any one of the things that you told me about would be a challenge for somebody to go through. And you, you've had a whole, whole bunch of them in different ways and different people. What would you say affected you the most? And what did you learn from that? I think that probably... The, the most impactful loss that I experienced was the death of my brother in 2003. Um, he died a week after my 21st birthday. It was March 26, 2003. So we're coming up on the 20th anniversary of his death. And in the two previous years, I'd also had family members die on my birthday. So I had just gotten past this, you know, third birthday in a row and thought I was in the clear. And then the phone rang and it was my mom telling me that there had been an accident and my brother had died. And so the, the, I mean, obviously like losing a sibling is a pretty intense experience. I was the oldest, he was the youngest. And we had just gotten to the place in our, um, in our lives where like we had things in common that we had, you know, we started to develop a relationship as human beings, not just as siblings. And like, we didn't even live in the same house anymore because I was off at college in another state. But we had really just started to develop that relationship. And I had settled into this sense of normalcy. I was like, oh, I just got to get past my birthday. And then like, everything is going to be fine. We'll like break the streak here. And then that happened. And what was I think in the in the moment of that experience, what was most distressing about it was that like in my mind, everything was fine. I wasn't really thinking about, you know, like my my original family. I, you know, if I had thought about them, I'd say, oh, he's probably at like cross-country practice. They're going to have dinner soon, you know, that sort of thing. And then the phone rang and that was when I learned that he had already been dead for several hours before mm. I found out. And there was this, this like, 
break where it felt like I couldn't trust what was real anymore. Because what felt real to me was that everything was fine and we were carrying on and, you know, I was dating this guy or getting ready to go out to dinner, you know, all, all this stuff happening, but it wasn't fine because my brother was dead and I didn't know. And that, that feeling of not knowing, and then the subsequent sort of like waiting for other shoes to drop, I think was, was like the most impactful piece of that, that period of time for me. And it was also sort of the thing that, that took a lot of my um, like underlying anxiety, my underlying depression, things that had been simmering beneath the surface for pretty much my whole life. And sort of, it was like the one degree that it needed to go from a simmer to a boil. And so a lot of that stuff boiled over. And that was a real, that was a real turning point in my life. And I would say that in, in many ways, it, it prepared me for, um, you know, subsequent losses and challenging experiences. But it was a, it was like a pretty, a pretty heavy duty reckoning of like, what's real? How do I want to be in the world? Like, what do my relationships look like? What, what am I going to allow to continue in my life versus what am I going to tackle? And it, it was a lot. It was a lot. It's uh, so much to handle. Yeah. I, I can I can really understand that. I used to deal with a lot of people that, that had sudden losses like that when um, my father bought an ambulance company when I was 13. And it was back in the days when the family ran the ambulance company and you only had to be 14 to go on ambulance calls. And so I started that very young. And there's, there's just something about sudden death that's so, so entirely different than when you know somebody's going to die. They've had cancer, they've had long-term illness, they've, you know, something that's long-term and you have a chance to adjust to it is so different than just here they are and then they're not. Yeah, it's it's different like flavors of awful, right? Like you have the time to prepare, but then there's also this this protracted period of pre-grieving and that mm-hmm. almost becomes normal, right? And then when they're gone, it's a different, it's a different kind of grief. And so much of it you've been able to process already. But then when the processing stops, that's also kind of jarring. Mm-hmm. Like I, I went through that with an uncle who um, developed. So he ha- he had cancer, and, and we didn't know, I guess, for a really long time. And then it suddenly like got like real bad real quick. And so for many months, I helped my grandparents take care of him. And, and really, I wasn't there when he actually died, but I watched him in, in his process of dying. And it, it was just such a different sense. It was, it was loss, but it was a different sense of loss than the loss with my brother and that abrupt snap. Yes. I know I've, I've had a, a few people tell me that when it's a long-term thing and their loved one dies, that they feel guilty because they feel like it's a relief. Yeah. Um, and and they they are happy and they think they're not supposed to be happy about it. But gee, I would be happy to see a loved one not be suffering like that anymore. Yeah. But that that doesn't mean you're not grieving. <laughs> right. And and I think that the, there's there's so much shame around the way that we grieve. And like one of one of my soapboxes is around like the pathologizing of natural human emotion. Like if someone you care about dies, like, of course, you're going to be sad. That is very normal. And you're going to be sad for a while. Like that's all very normal, but it's not just the one emotion, right? Like we have this huge range 
of human emotions. And, you know, there's very much pressure, I would say, culturally, like in, in white Western society, it's like good vibes only, like come happy or don't come. And like, that's not useful because like we have all of these emotions for a reason. And like we were talking about, you know, in the, in the beginning about like grief and happiness, sadness and joy, like they're, they're two sides of the same coin, the same way your hand has two sides. Like you can't have just one side of your hand. You can't have just one side of human emotion. And like, if we have things like relief that someone who's, who's been suffering is no longer suffering or relief that someone who's been making us suffer is no longer here to do it. Like there's something wrong with that, but don't be too sad for too long because there's something wrong with that too. Right. And I think that one of the most challenging emotions for, for many people around that, I mean, relief is, is a huge one, but I think the other one is anger. People have a, a deep sense of shame about being angry but I, I was like enraged with my brother, the, the way that he died. I won't get into any like gory details or anything, but he, um, he was hood surfing on his friend's car and, you know, holding on to the hood of the car and he lost his grip and, and slid off and the car ran over him. And I was like, are you stupid? Like you were 16 years old. You know better than to do something dumb like that. And I wanted to like bring him back so I could kill him myself. Like I was so angry at him. And I still feel angry at him sometimes. And it's been almost 20 years. And like, that's okay. Like you are just allowed to be mad. You're allowed to be mad at them for doing something dumb that got them killed. You're allowed to be mad at them for leaving you and like leaving a mess for you to clean up. Like you're allowed to be mad about all of that stuff. And that is not a problem. And I think that when we, when we leave space for those emotions, that's what allows the presence of joy and gratitude and happiness amid grieving. Yes, it, it really does. I, I know uh, I've had two husbands die and I just couldn't convince myself to go to a grief group because whenever I heard about one, my husband actually, one of my husbands facilitated a, a grief group for years. And so I was always hearing the stories about what happened at, at the group. And I thought, I, I can't go. And he, he talked about this one woman that every time she came for years, she told the same story and cried. And I thought, I don't want to go someplace where I'm going to get stuck. I want to mm -hmm. be able to figure out what I'm supposed to do now. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't mm -hmm. mean that I'm not sad or that I'm not grieving. It's that I, sitting in a room with everybody crying and not being able to see a different aspect of the situation, uh, that I couldn't handle. Yeah. And so I, I found different ways. And it's, it's one of the reasons that I've, I've created the group that I created, because uh, it, it feels good. I, we, we actually had a, we meet every Sunday on Zoom. And so we met on Christmas Day and New Year's Day this year They because the, they came then. And it was so wonderful because the, these people were, most of them in that group, I think were it was their first year of being without their, their loved one that they were grieving that they were coming to the group for. But we were able to smile and talk about positive things and support each other. And a lot of times when you're in a situation like that, nobody can can handle you smiling or handle you mm -hmm. being okay. 
And it just felt so good to be in, in that kind of a group where it's just love and support and smiling and it feels good. And I, that's so important, I think. that That's why I do grief and happiness, not just grief. Yeah, because it, it, there really are these, these different sides and these different dimensions to it. And the thing that I has always sort of struck me about the experience of loss, whether it's sudden or, or over a long period of time, it's just the way that when that person has left their body, when they are no longer there, your brain just reorganizes in an instant. Because un, unbeknownst to us, like our brains have taken all of our relationships, everyone we've known, and we've written out this story of what things are going to be like, right? Like you look at your child when they're first born and you, you know, imagine them going off to school and getting married and all of these things. And then, you know, it's the same thing with how you imagine your, your, your life with your parents when you're a child thinking about when you're an adult and then when you're an adult and they're adults, right? Or, you know, with a, with a spouse, with even with like neighbors, like people, you know, like you have these stories written out and then they're gone and those stories don't work anymore. And your brain has to figure out what to do with that. And I always think of it like I'm doing this thing with my hands, like uh, the bricks um, in the first Harry Potter movie, when they go into Diagon Alley, the, there's a brick wall that they do this like tappy tappy thing that makes the, the wall open up and the bricks all like rotate outward and the wall turns into a doorway. And I imagine that like happening inside our brains every mm. time we're trying to like integrate a new reality. It's the same thing. Like all the parts just start moving around and that can be really destabilizing. And a lot of stuff will come up in that. And some of those things will be funny stories. Some of those things will be, you know, difficult moments that you never want to relive. Some of those things will be shame about that time that you were just a complete jerk to this person who's gone and you never apologized. And now you can't right? Like all of these, all of these things start flying around in our brains at one time. And it just, it just happens in a heartbeat and we don't even know it. And so it can, it can really, it's, it's a really fascinating thing to watch. And I, you know, so many people have like really good laughs at a funeral, right? Cause all of this stuff is swirling around and it's all close to the surface. And, and those moments are there along with the deep sadness. And I was just thinking as you were talking about that, the, the funerals that I went to when I was young compared to the funerals now, because it used to be everything was very solemn. Everybody cried. Everybody, you know, everything was very scripted. Um, mm -hmm. Only the person who was conducting the ceremony and the a singer were the only ones that you heard their voices during the whole thing. And everybody else, no matter what they were thinking or what they were going through, they just had to hold it. And nowadays, it seems like most services are either tailor-made to the person or they have an opportunity for people to get up and, and say something about the person. Mm -hmm. And I, yeah. just, I think that helps everybody that's there, not just the person who's relating a story, but the other people, because it, it makes it so it's... You, you can only be so tense for so long before it's going to break. Mm -hmm. So if you can kind of uh, relax it, then then you can uh, deal with it better, I think. Yeah, I am. I actually have, despite the fact that I've, I've experienced a number of losses, I haven't actually been to that many funerals. I'm 
pretty sure I used to know for sure, but now I don't remember. I'm pretty sure my brother's funeral was the first funeral I ever went to. Now, other people had died, but I hadn't been to their funerals. Maybe I went to my, actually, my grandfather had died on my birthday the previous year. So I did actually go to his funeral. So my brother's funeral was the second one. Now I'm clear again. But it was a very like interesting experience because there were like vigils and, and memorial services and that sort of thing. Um, and then at the, at the actual service, like whoever wanted to could, you know, say something. My best friend and I sang a song and I played it on my brother's guitar and, you know, stuff like that. And it, and it really was very personalized. And it was, it felt so different from my grandfather's funeral, which was very solemn. But then many years later, um, I can't remember exactly when this was my, my grandmother before she died had met my kids, but they were still babies. So this was probably like 10 years ago you know, she, she died and, you know, she was quite old. So we knew this was coming, but the funeral opened with my cousin delivering the eulogy. My grandmother's name was Kate and she was a notorious night owl. She'd stay up very late and then she'd sleep until like noon. And then, you know, she would do these things. And the funeral was at like 11 and my cousin opened the eulogy with, you know, thank you all for making it. We wanted to start earlier, but we were afraid Kate wouldn't come. Kate being my dead grandmother. (laughs) We all just busted out laughing. And it just, and that was the first word anybody said at the service. And it it really set the tone for really this like celebration. And we we can be sad and we can miss her, but like she was a whole person and a different version of her lives in all of us. And then we have these shared things about her knowing that if it's before 11 in the morning, she is not coming right? Like that, you know, and just, just bringing that in in such a more nuanced way of looking at people and looking at the way we relate to them. Yeah. That's so important to, to see what's real, experience what's real and, and not stuff it someplace and, and not deal with it. Cause that just makes it worse when, when you yeah. do that. Yeah. And, and there's a lot of pressure to do that. Like I remember at, a month after my brother died, and this was like when everyone else, their their life had gone back to normal, right? Like it's the first two weeks, everyone's like, let me bring you food. Let me do these things. And then the excitement sort of wears off and they go on. So it's been a month and my my mom is still a hot mess as I can, you know, as a mother, I, I don't know how she functions even now. One of her friends said to her, you're not over that yet? 30 days in. And she was like, no, I'm not. Or what is wrong with you? right? Because it makes people uncomfortable. They don't want to think about their own mortality. They don't want to think about losing someone they care about. They don't really know what to say. They're afraid they're going to say the wrong thing. And then they do say the wrong thing. So there is a lot of pressure to like move quickly and to only have the right feelings and to have them for the right amount of time. And, and there's, there's just so much more to it than that. There's so many right ways to grieve. That's true. And I, I was thinking too, with, as you were saying that, that when, uh, my first husband who died was well-loved in the community. Everybody knew him. He was a, a teacher or a professor at the college, and all the he, he taught a class that all the nurses had to take, and so everybody that would take care of him in the hospital always calling Professor mm-hmm. Thoreau and giving him special care, and they, they just all loved him. But he also was an actor and singer, and people mm-hmm. in the community knew him for that. And so there there, he had, there were so many different aspects to him. So when he first got sick, so that anybody noticed that he was sick, boy, they came out of the woodwork visiting and bringing stuff. And uh, it, it was really nice. But the longer he was sick, 
the further away they stayed. It's like yeah. they couldn't handle it. You know, if, if mm-hmm. you think somebody's going to get better, then you can be cheery with them. But when you realize that they're not, then they're just not around anymore. And that was really hard, really, really hard. And yeah. I'm sure that people didn't realize that they were doing that. But that that was what happened. And it made it so that after he died, it was really hard on me because I didn't particularly want to uh, be with the people who hadn't been supporting him through it. And it's not that they didn't love him. It's just that they didn't know what to do. They yeah. couldn't handle themselves seeing him deteriorate. That that was just too much for them. Mm-hmm. So it's it's really hard. I think it's very, very important to talk about things like this and to have somebody you can talk to and somebody you can laugh with and smile with and have have a good time. That's really, really important. Yeah. And I think that also, I mean, like just thinking back to my uncle and his prolonged illness, and I've I've had friends through the years who've dealt with chronic health conditions or who have died sort of slowly over a long period of time, like those, those folks want joy too, right? They're not like, they're not like, yes, let me, let me die somberly, right? Like they, they're still alive. They want to enjoy their life. They want to be connected. They want the chance to laugh and not have people be like, how are you holding up in every conversation, right? Like they, they want to be real human beings. And I, you know, I think just this, this discomfort with these, this rawness of these emotions with the ins and outs of life. And, you know, like even with, you know, like new babies and stuff, like people are, people are kind of weird about it. Right. And because we just don't, we don't do those things publicly. And so we have very few chances to practice. And when we do practice, like we're never sure we're doing it right. And so I, you know, I totally understand the impulse to like get away as quickly as possible, especially to make sure it's like not catching, right? Like, we don't want to be around sad people too much because then we'll get sad or something bad will happen in our lives. But, you know, just like we, we need to have these conversations more. We need to be more present with these like real authentic emotions. We need to be more present with asking for what we need or asking other people what they need and then actually listening to them. Because we just, that's just as a culture, we're just not good at that. Yes, that's, that's for sure. I know I, I always encourage people to stay in touch with people who mm-hmm. are, are grieving or dealing with loss or in, in the process of before or after mm-hmm. to not desert them. You know, that that's just cruel and it happens all the time. Yeah. So I, I really like to encourage people to do whatever they can to to reach out and, and to be involved and do things. I grew up in a real small town, and it, it we always when somebody was like if, if somebody was dying, somebody was always with them. There was no question about that, and we'd sign up and take turns and uh, around the clock, somebody was with them so that they wouldn't be alone. Mm-hmm. Now you're you're lucky if anybody will come. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think that um, COVID was kind of, no pun intended, the final nail in that coffin. Oh, yeah. Because yeah. It, it was so dangerous for for us to be around people because of these potentially unexpected consequences of doing that. You know, who's going to get sick or am I going to bring in a germ that's the thing that does them in? You know, like mm-hmm. there, there's so much of that. And it was already this like squidgy thing that people didn't know what to do with. And then it got extra scary 
And that, I, you know, I, I don't know how we're like, as a culture, I don't know how we're going to come back from that because we've been moving away from, from the community, everyone taking turns and signing up for shifts and stuff for, you know, for generations that's been, that's been happening to more individualism. But now with COVID and everyone spending three years locked in their homes and like afraid to interact with other people and, and so much death around us. I mean, that it's just so much. Yeah, it, it's so hard. They're, they're still uh, making it very difficult for like in, in, when somebody's in the hospital. It, the regulations are so different now to visit somebody than they used to be. Yeah. And that's just sad. It makes me not want to be in the hospital for anything because I don't want to be cut off from the world. Yeah. I, I know when my brother and his wife had their first baby two years ago, she she had a very long labor and he was there with her and they hadn't really been like prepared for how, how long they were going to be there. And the fact that if he left, he couldn't come back because of the COVID requirements. And I, I don't wow. understand why that was the case, but like he couldn't leave to go get food, to go get personal items for, for her. And like no one else could come. And so it was just this very like bizarre like purgatory <laughs> the wow. two of them. and you know that's just it, so many people went through so much of that I mean this is like a massive collective trauma on a global scale but then these individual traumas and these individual losses that have occurred with even less community around it I mean we're, we're going to be seeing the impact of this for a really long time yeah, I'm I'm concerned about that. About what what lessons are we going to take away from this so that we can make things better because of experience instead of uh, mm -hmm. having more fear and more unreasonable things going on. Yeah. Well, I just looked at the clock, and we've been talking a long time. So I think that we probably should wrap this up. I, I could talk to you for hours, I think, and we'd still have more stuff to talk about that's different and that can help people. But I, I think the conversation that we've had is is really interesting, and it's going to make people think. I hope so. And yeah, it does. And to, to see if um, people can always remember to pay attention to the happiness in their lives and know that they can smile because it, it makes a huge difference to, to your body and to all the people around you if you can smile. Mm -hmm. And I, I don't mean smile when you're not happy. <laughs> I mean, allow yourself to be able to, to feel something that feels good, do something that feels good, talk to somebody that it feels good to talk to, whatever it is that you need to do. Yeah. And I think like the big reminder that I want to share with people around that is that like the presence of multiple emotions does not diminish or invalidate the other emotions that are there. Like there is nothing for you to feel guilty about when you experience joy after the loss of a loved one, because you are allowed to hold both of those things. You contain multitudes and that's the way it is supposed to be. And that's why it can be so easy to go from crying to laughing or laughing to crying, kind of like all in a heartbeat is this is just, it's all a continuum and it's all there and it's okay. And the recognition and space holding for one emotion creates space for other emotions. We can't, we can't selectively numb our emotions. It's kind of like general anesthesia. 
all of them get muted if we try to turn any of them off. And the way that we that we really honor those emotions and the way that we allow the grief to process and to move through our body is to allow the emotions to be there and not make them wrong and not make ourselves wrong for having them and to just have have compassion for the fact that we are nuanced, complex human beings. And this is part of that. That's right. That's right. Wow. Well, this has been a great conversation. I'm, I think we're going to have a part two coming up at some point because <laughs> you, you're so great to talk to. <laughs> so, uh, and for our listeners, we're going to have all of um, Kristen's contact information and about her in the show notes so that you can follow up however you'd like to. And um, share this podcast with people. I, I think I think it's a good one for people to listen to. For lots of reasons. So <laughs> thank you so much for being my guest today. And uh, I look forward to seeing my listeners again next week. Thank you. Aloha. Do you want more comfort, support, and happiness? Join the Grief and Happiness Alliance. Visit my website at lovingandlivingyourwaythroughgrief.com and read my book, Loving and Living Your Way Through Grief. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast, rate it, review it, and binge on all our episodes on grief and happiness. I can't wait to welcome you back to another episode.